What is up and welcome back to 24 Minutes of A24, the podcast that takes a look at the A24 library 24 minutes at a time. I'm Ethan Simi. And I'm Ben Lahorn. This week on the pod, we're going to learn a little bit more about the story director, Brian De Palma, as we talk about, well, De Palma. De Palma. Simple as that. Uh, the, the, the long line for the movie, very simple. A documentary about writer and director Brian De Palma. That's, that's what we're talking about. Super accurate. Super <laughs> that's accurate. It. That's yeah. exactly what the movie is. There's not really spoilers. It's a documentary about De Palma. Um, you could go to his IMDb page and basically see all of what we're seeing. There are some of his movies that do get like briefly spoiled, mm-hmm. but it was like it was not enough for me to be like, oh my god, like I'm spoiling the like if I haven't seen them yet, I'm obviously okay with them yeah, being spoiled. Yeah. Um, before we get into De Palma, before we talk about that, um, which we chose because we're just you know kind of bridging the gap between um possibly past lives next week if you get a freaking showtime Ben we'll fingers crossed if the gods smile upon you <laughs> um and our patreon we're covering mission impossible over on the patreon um and De Palma directed the very first mission impossible so we figured yes, what did. uh you know what a great time to talk about this director a couple of housekeeping things real fast I was afraid is now available on VOD you can buy it digitally um I'm I assume on on Vudu or Amazon or Apple wherever you get your digital movies um, Ben, I put out a tweet on the old, on the old tweeter of, Hey, should we do a live rewatch, like watch along for yes, Bo's afraid people are hyped, man. We, I think are. we got to do it. I think we got to do it. They are indeed. Uh, yeah, I think we were going to have to do it. So, um, that's what I said on the <laughs> review. I I'm anxious to rewatch it. Uh-huh. Um, I think it'll be an interesting movie to discuss and I think a live rewatch would be cool. And maybe it's even a thing where, People can come and chime in and give us their thoughts while we watch it as well. It'd be kind of cool. So yeah, I'm all for I it. I love that. I love that idea. That'd be neat. Uh, yeah. Follow us on Twitter. Tweet at us. If you want us to do that, let us know. I yeah. think the more people we get to socially pressure us to watch an absolutely outlandish film that we're really mixed on, the better. I yeah. don't see how that could go wrong. Um, so that's exciting. I am also, I mentioned past life briefly. Ben, I'm seeing past lives in less than 24 hours. I am fucking excited and i'm really sorry that you don't have a showtime yet but i'm not gonna hold back my excitement you know what i feel like right now i feel like that meme on twitter that's like i don't care if something good happened to you it should have happened to me instead <laughs> that guy who's just like like staring that's how i feel right now it's like i don't care like i should be the one that's seeing it in 24 hours and i can't there's no fucking showtimes still i don't get it i even Dude. showed you that i uh uh, our local art house theater here put out some new show times for movies and stuff. And I wrote mm-hmm. to him, I was like, yo, are you guys going to have past time? You know, like, like, yeah, we are. We're just waiting to finalize dates. So we're getting it. I just don't know when exactly. Brutal. But at least I had some sort of confirmation that the movie is coming to Utah. It is coming to Salt Lake. I'm imagining it's when it goes wide on the 23rd, mm-hmm. but still no dates to be seen. So Fingers crossed we talk about it this year. Who knows? <laughs> Fingers crossed. I agree. Um, gosh, man, I feel really bad for you because like my soul is withering away every day and I I have my ticket. I know when I'm seeing it. Yeah. So I'll see it on the 15th. If you're not able to see it for a, a week after, obviously we'll have to push the conversation on this podcast until you do have access to it. 
that'll just give me more time to probably see it six or ten more times i would imagine so let's, let's cool it we're fine let's keep going we, let's move on with this discussion now need you rubbing that in my face you're ready ready to move on talk about De Palma. uh that's fair that's fair okay let's let's talk about De Palma. this movie is from a24 um directed by noah bobak which is very fascinating it's basically just two hours nearly an hour and 50 minutes of brian De Palma talking to noah bobak about like Hey, I made yeah. all these movies and like these are all the movies that I made. Uh, I thought it was quite riveting and, and pretty fascinating to be honest. Um I do have some some negative thoughts, but I'm curious what you think about this movie. Um specifically, I guess I I wanted to ask you first like about the format because I recently watched Still, a Michael J. Fox story and that's mm. very very different than this documentary um that is a documentary on michael j fox but it's very structured very storied um very cinematic in what it's trying to tell this is just like a fireside chat with brian de palma i kind of dug it i thought the more unorthodox storytelling was was pretty fun i'm happy for you i really oh no no. I, i love documentaries so much like my my favorite thing to read is biographies. Like uh-huh. if you look at my bookshelf, you know, a large majority of them, a third to half of just like it's biographies. That's my favorite thing. I also love the IMDb trivia page. Like that's my favorite thing to go to after I watch a movie. It's like, cool. Let me find out about this movie. That's kind of what this was. This was kind of him. Uh-huh. Just like, it was like a real life trivia page, IMDb trivia, which was cool. Yeah. Um, I just, man, I don't know. There's just something about the format of it that just didn't hit with me. It's like, Man, there's no no fanfare, no flashiness, no uh-huh. no cinematic quality to it, like no backing music, nothing like that, which is fine. Like, and obviously, like they probably meant for it to be that way, just really raw and just a palma, just like telling stories. But it just reminded me of like you know when you think of like oh, you know someone's grandparent is going to pass away, let me just sit down and have them tell me all their stories. I'm gonna write them down that way we have it for future generations. And it kind of just felt like that where. They just sat down with him. They're like, all right, cool. Carrie, what do you know? What do you remember about Carrie? Tell me, you know, it's yeah. like, all right, well, we did this. Like, you know, George Lucas and I were casting Star Wars and Carrie at the same time. And that kind of stuff is like really, really interesting. It was just like told so matter of factly and just like without any sort of anything. I was like, all right, this is really just kind of strange, you know? And like, it wasn't, I'm not saying that it's bad. I just like, I wasn't entertained by something that, on paper should be so entertaining to me. You uh-huh. know, it's like, it's a director just telling you all about his movies and his process and why he does the stuff that he does. But I was just like, Oh man, this is really kind of just like flat for me. Um, and I guess maybe uh, it's an interesting decision. I think like he's the only person that talks in this whole movie. Like mm-hmm. there isn't like, Hey, let's go get Spielberg to talk about working with the Palmer or, let's ask Lucas why he had to Palma write the scroll for the first, you know, for a new hope. Like none of that stuff gets talked about. He talks about like working with them, you know, and some of their stories, but just the way it was conducted and the way it was done. I was just like, everything he's saying is like factually interesting. It's just not, I, it's just not hitting me the way I think it could have. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. hundred percent. It's, it's exceptionally um, unorthodox and like unstructured in the way that it is told. I think I took a break about an hour in and maybe that's what worked for me is like, I kind of took a breather and then like I went back to it uh, to kind of finish it up. I, 
what I mean, I can only guess your answer to this next question, but for me personally, so it clocks in at an hour 50. I think based on the experience that I had and based on this kind of storytelling format of like, we're literally just going through the filmography of De Palma and like seven minutes here, 11 minutes here. And then we're moving on to the next movie. Like you're right. There's, there's no fanfare. There's no transitions. There's no like Mm -hmm. literally two personal stories. I think that's pretty much it. Like there are moments where he's just like, yeah, my love life fell apart. And like, that's all we know. And there were moments where I was just like, ah, like, tell me, tell me more. Like, I just want to know more of that personal side because it did have that feeling of an IMDb trivia page or a profile page, really, of just like going through it. Um, But I think for me, if it was 25 minutes shorter, if we're talking like 85 to 88 minutes, I think it's a lot stronger of a piece. I think it is just a long time to listen to someone just talk with, with no score, yeah. no anything and no um, kind of vigor, like in what they're telling. Right. So it did feel pretty long and, and arduous to me. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah. I agree with that. I think the way it was done, it could have been shorter. Cause it's just, it's very dry, you know? Uh-huh. And I think I'm with you. I took a break about the same point. Okay. And the first half definitely fell much more flat for me. And I think in large part because of my experience with De Palma's movies, like it was kind of right between the seventies and eighties. Like, honestly, like anything before 1980, the only thing I've seen was Carrie. Uh And that was honestly in preparation for this podcast. Like, Oh, look at you doing prep, doing prep know, work, right? Ben. Damn. We were hanging out and it was just like, oh man, I've seen some of his stuff. I haven't seen this. It's like, I haven't seen Carrie. And we pulled it up and it's like 90 minutes or something like, cool, let's just throw it on. So we just like Sweet. watched it. It's fucking awesome. It's so good. Like yeah. it still holds up. Sissy SpaceX rules. Like it's, it's a great movie. But I realized then when I watched the second half today that that is where all my experience with De Palma comes in. Mm. If after the 80s, it's blowout, it's Scarface it's untouchables. It's Carlito's way mission impossible snake eyes. Like once he started talking about movies that I had an experience with, I was a little bit more interested, you know, captivated like, Oh, okay. That's kind of cool. That's because like I've seen Scarface. So hearing how, you know, what the original plan was, um, and that, uh, I forget who it was, was going to direct it. And then like, it kept going like kind of back and forth. He's like, no, we're going like full bright colors, like Cuban, whatever. I'm like, okay, that's cool. I like that. Um, but the first part just kind of fell flat. And I think maybe it was just because like number one, the style, but also I had only seen one of the movies that he's talking about. Uh So it was just like, okay, like that's interesting about, you know, obsession or sisters or home movies. Like the idea behind home movies was really kind of interesting, but just like, I haven't seen it, so I can't really relate to it. But the fact that you were teaching a class at a college and you just decided to turn all their stories into a movie and like, okay, that's kind of cool. But we we didn't necessarily even get like we got a lot of b-roll of movies we didn't get a lot of clips for movies you know what i mean like right there was a lot of like him like us seeing it while he's talking about it but nothing that would like drive home the awesome like scenes from these movies we got a couple like say hello to my little friend like things like that the classics but nothing else that really punctuated it but um i i did appreciate like his confidence in himself because I, I mean, there's like a version of it that comes across as really like egotistical and just like over the top. I mean, we start out with him talking about seeing vertigo for the first time, which is an yeah. absolute classic. It's a wonderful movie, amazing film. Um, one of Hitchcock's best, obviously. 
and him talking about how that inspired him to want to make movies. And then like we wrap up the documentary with him talking about like, I'm surprised more people didn't do what I did and just like copy Hitchcock. Like I was the I only know. person doing what Hitchcock did. It's like, damn dude, that's a statement to make that you're just it was like, so funny. like you were friends with Martin Scorsese, Spielberg, like I'm drawing a blank on the others, but like just some of the best George Lucas, um, just some of the best directors of all time. And you're like, I'm the only one that decided to do what Hitchcock did. It was like, all right, okay. dude, fucking go off, man. That's great. You do you. And he, and he was like, right. Like he fucking loves a split diopter. Like he, he yeah. loves the femme fatale. Like he literally named a movie femme fatale. So like he, he likes all that. And for better or worse, like he talks about that. He's like, if I'm going to watch someone being chased, I want it to be a girl. I'm like, a little right, creepy at times, little, to be honest. Weird, a little weird, know? little pervy. Like, <laughs> yeah, like I appreciate the transparency, but I don't know if that sounds exactly like you wanted to, you know. But um, yeah. yeah, I don't know. It was fine. It was just, it's hard because it wasn't, it's a, just a monologue. You know, it's just him talking. Yeah. There wasn't, we don't get to hear any of the questions that are lobbed to him. And I don't know if there were any as much as it was just like, cool, Let's we're on the Snake camera Eyes run. now. So tell yeah. me about Snake Eyes. What do you remember? Um, so it's just a, it was an interesting style to do. And I think, I think part of it also is that like documentaries have just gotten so good and this isn't old, it's from 2016, but it was like documentaries. Now we have like five part series. We have like, really, yeah, you know, way dry. different. Yeah. There's just like, they hit you more emotionally in different ways. And like this, this could have happened with this, you know, one of the documentaries from a 24, Amy does a great job of this. Um, and that doesn't even have any talking head interviews at all. You know, it's just like, it's a very interesting style. So I don't know who am I to question Noah Bombeck, right? Like, this is just my reception to it. But um, yeah, I don't yeah. know. Some of the stories were interesting. Like, I can't deny that. Like, I yeah. I, I was interested in it. I just kind of wish it had been presented differently. That's really fascinating because it's it, it was nearly the complete opposite for me. Nice. I have only experienced De Palma through Mission Impossible. So I didn't have enough time to watch Scarface, even though I threatened to put you on a solo pod if I didn't watch <laughs> Scarface. Um, I didn't have enough time to see any of the major De Palma movies, right? Of of any of those. And I, even though it is told in, a, in an exceptionally dry manner um, that does leave a lot to be desired of like, oh man, like tell me more about that. Or like, you could have put in some really cool stuff or like really rounded out this story or this idea. I still think the matter of fact thing going straight through his career, like starting at the very beginning of like in college, I'm working with Robert De Niro in his very first movie and the director, my best friend, like couldn't get it to shoot. So I told him how to do it and like realized I'm really good at it. And it's mm -hmm. like, okay, fascinating. That's really cool. And like every movie subsequently that he talked about, I was like, I haven't seen this. I've heard really good things, but I'm really interested to know firsthand, like, what did De Palma think? What did he go through during this? Like, what is, I think what's really interesting to me is obviously there was some prompt of like, you know, okay, we're on Carlito's way now. Tell me something about it. And the, what he chose to tell, I'm sure he chose to tell other things that didn't make the cut, yeah. but what did make the cut is interesting to me because like from someone that is so storied that has worked with so many people in, you know, all of these major actors with these major movies that are for better or worse. Like those are the stories that he chose to tell, which I think is very interesting and says a lot about what he remembers about those mm -hmm. projects. And it personally made me more excited to see these projects because now I can kind of like rank, like what De Palma movie do I want to see first? What am I most interested in now that I know a little bit of background? 
and I don't have to go in so blind, especially for the older movies like Phantom of the Paradise and High Mom. Mm-hmm. Like my local theater did a 35 millimeter print of High Mom a few months ago, and I was just like, okay, Robert De Niro, very, very interesting. Probably not going to see it though. Didn't go yeah. see it, and now I'm like, God damn it, that would have been really cool to go see. Now I know a little bit more, so I do think it does hit that niche audience and is definitely directed at that niche audience like you and I who care about De Palma and care about movies and have an understanding on some base level of cinematic history and, and what uh, his role in that was. I think that's pretty important. Um, so yeah, you know, I, I think it does leave a lot to be desired. I do think it's too long, but I think it's interesting overall. And I, and I, maybe we just run it back. Maybe we just like 2023, this thing and, make it more exciting and, you know, pump the juices a little bit and get something really cool. Um, let's, let's do some true cinema moments so we can kind of like talk through some of the stories that De Palma does talk about. Initially talks about co-directing, um, the wedding party, which was De Niro's first movie. He ended up being in, um, an acting class with De Niro and all of these very famous people that kind of came out of the sixties and seventies. And they did show clips about that. And I guess I was just marveled about like, God, Robert De Niro, been acting for fucking ever. This legend, you know? Yeah, I mean, that was the takeaway for me, just seeing, like, young young Bob, you know? It's like, oh, man, Good it's crazy Bob. to, like, get in with someone so early, you know? And and and, just, and later in the movie, he's like, yeah, Bob and I were friends, and we had worked together before. And it's like, he's just starting his career, but you guys are already friends. Like, that's insane to me. Yeah, that's a that's a great friend to have. So, yeah, it's a great <laughs> way, great way to start out, without a doubt. Absolutely. Uh, Phantom of the Paradise. You did mention we don't really get a lot of movie clips. This is like the one big movie clip that we get. Phantom of the Paradise um, had a lot of success in Canada and France. I guess it played for like 10 years in France and then it just fell flat in the US and nobody liked it in New York City. And De Palma was like sitting in the audience being like, nobody likes my movies. Everybody hates them. Um, That clip definitely got me interested in the movie. Have you even heard about this movie before you watched this documentary? Uh, only because I was like somewhat familiar with Paul Williams um, okay. who's in it. And he, he does like a lot of music for like, he did like the Muppet movie and stuff like that. Like he's oh. a pretty well-known, you know, music person, but I haven't seen the movie, but like the mask itself is pretty fucking cool. <laughs> yeah. It's super sick. It's yeah. really cool. I'm really interested now to watch it. Uh, I think I think it'd be really fun to watch. Uh, he did tell a personal story about Dress to Kill, mm-hmm. which I had literally never heard of. I think is an incredible concept for a, for a movies, especially set in the '70s. Like that's really um, pretty good thriller material in in my eyes. Um, and how basically when De Palma was a kid, he would follow his dad around while his dad was cheating on his mom, and basically like went in on him one time and found the woman and like confronted his dad and would follow him and, and photograph him and film him and these things. So like he lived that idea that does take place in dress to kill, which I think is really important in the story of De Palma and understanding he does influx a lot of his movies with a lot of personal things, right? You mentioned the femme fatale aspect mm-hmm. of everything. He is very frank with like, I like seeing women on screen and it's like, yeah, uh, we get it. You see, we got him in all the, all of your movies. Um, you know, which I, I do think is important to his filmography and who he is as an, as an artist and as, as a director, um, that, you know, that, you know, that is his. And this was interesting to learn about a movie that's so old that is injected with his own story. 
yeah, it was very cool to kind of hear that side of it. It's like, oh yeah, this was me. Like I was just telling my own yeah. story, you know, but yeah, again, just the way he talks about things like he talked about with Carrie, he's like, I'm not really sure where the idea for the slow motion opening of the girls locker room came from. I know. It's like, I got a pretty fucking good idea where that idea came from, Brian, you know, <laughs> listen here, Brian, I know where it came from, buddy. Yeah. It's like, I don't really know where I came up with that. It's like, okay, well, um, yeah, the way he would tell some stories was interesting, but this one it's, I think what was so interesting is they're all told with like the same enthusiasm or lack of. And so when he just dropped like everything's yeah, man, yeah, this was just, this was my life this is what I lived. Like, wait hold on what like you're just like you're just dropping on here that you like followed you know a parent to see them cheating and stuff like that yeah. like, that's absurd to hear about that but um kind of cool to see him like put it into a movie did not know he was such a fan of the phrase holy mackerel holy he says mackerel. it like 11 times <laughs> yeah. in this movie yeah yeah every indeed. time he said it i was just like this guy's living it take There's a good shot stuff. <laughs> yeah take a shot you'd be mad drunk by the time it ends Next on the list, um, a little Scarface action. So uh, yeah. he submitted Scarface three times and got an X rating each time. Each time he submitted it, he took out more things because the studio continued to nag him to take out more things to drop the rating. And the third time, he still got an X and he was like, fuck this. I'm just going to put out the original copy, um, which I thought was interesting. Like he has, without a doubt, had his fair share of studio drama. Um, and yeah. I think what was really interesting to me was like the further I got in the, in the movie, I was just like, does the Palm even make good movies? You know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah, every yeah. movie he ends talking about every movie with like, nobody liked it. It bombed. It didn't do well. Um, I was trying to, the next movie I was trying to figure out how to do better, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, I don't know if he even makes good movies, but like, he's a re- like, he's a great director. You know what I mean? Like I, yeah. I thought that was something fascinating. That's one of the things I really respected out of this is um, he talked about that with, I think it was raising Kane yeah. and he's like, Oh, I just, I told the wrong story. Like I, yeah. because we got in the edit, the, the edit room and it was just like, Oh, John Lithgow is so like amazing and captivating. I'm going to make him the a story, even though the, it was written that like the <laughs> female protagonist was the a story. And he was just like, yeah, I just kind of fucked that up. Like I told that the wrong way. <laughs> yeah. you know? I was like, he was just super transparent. They're like, that's on me. That's my bad. You know, <laughs> that but was I appreciated so funny, that, you know, that yeah. he was just like, yeah, that was totally me. I screwed that up. Like that could have been a really good movie, but I just got in my head in the edit room and I was just like, let's make John Lithgow the, the main person. It's like, no, that's not what I should have done. So, uh, that is, you know, whatever negative thoughts I have about this, I do appreciate how transparent yeah. he was about every single thing. He he didn't sugarcoat anything. He wasn't like, oh no, you know what? The critics were wrong about it. It's a great movie. He's like, I don't know. People don't like it. I liked it. Like whatever next, yeah. you know, like it was kind of cool. Yeah. And you know, he is, he did come up kind of in that golden era, right? You mentioned like Scorsese and um, George Lucas and all these people that he did end up working with and being very, very cool with and like Spielberg and all these guys. But like, he is as much a product of the system as anybody else, right? Like he just, it didn't do well. Let's just move on to the next project. Like, let's just work on something else and let's spend a year, you know, hanging out with this cop from this story, writing a script only for it to get yeah. scrapped and continue to look for work. Like, I think he does have a lot of kind of everyday man vibes. Like when it does come to um, the struggle of a director in Hollywood and in a growing Hollywood, of course, there was one quote I wanted to say I believe it was in relation to Scarface as well. Um, He said, 
basically back then it was if the writer got fired, you walked like yeah, the writer yeah. and the director were synonymous and like the project was theirs and it was very holy in that aspect. Um, and I guess that stuck out to me because of the culture that we're living in now, especially yeah. when it comes to Marvel. I think we're on our third writer for King Dynasty. Like movie hasn't even basically started pre-production and they can't even figure out who's going to write the script. And and Hollywood has indefinitely changed in that aspect, but I respected that a lot about him. And I really find that interesting uh, about that era of Hollywood and how like they work together as units and like they knew the story they wanted to tell. And it wasn't it wasn't the store, the studio to them. It was them to the studio. Right. Yeah. And he makes a point of saying that of like we used Hollywood to tell original stories we wanted to tell. You just had to get the studio to sign off on the budget. And you can see as he progresses through telling these stories, we get all the way mission to Mars, like early, early two thousands. And he's like, I didn't know what I, I guess I was just like trying to beat a budget. And it's just like, wow, that is 30 years later. And that is just so completely different than what we were hearing about an hour ago. Yeah. Yeah. He brought that up too with, I forget, was it mission possible? I don't remember which one it was, but it's like, that's the thing now with action movies. Like everything's previs. Like you don't get Every, to just yep. like everything's previs. You don't get to like make up a shot on the day or anything. It's like and that's what was so different about him doing Mission Impossible and all this kind of stuff. It's like you just sometimes on the day you're like, let's try this instead. But now yeah. with all the studio system is like, oh no, this is what's going to happen here. You just need to like get us to this point because it's all kind of like worked out already. So again, I, I appreciate the transparency. I also love too. <laughs> he was just like. I forget what movie it was, but like it bombed. He's like, so I just like went to France. I was like, I, I don't want to hang out <laughs> yeah. here. You know, it's like, that's kind of the joy of being a loner is like, you can just like go and live by yourself in another country. Like, yeah, yeah I guess so. That's cool. After snake eyes, he was just like, fuck that. I'm not making yeah, movies in America yeah. anymore. I'm yeah. gone. I'm gone. And yeah. it's just like, all right, dude, sounds good. See <laughs> you later. <laughs> um, next one I wanted to put on here, uh, tested a porn star for body double against studio wishes. I mentioned studio drama, um, his femme fatale, uh, you know, attraction, uh, whether that be uh, over the line or not, obviously was a very hot subject at the time and probably mm. still is, I believe. Um, but you got to hand it to him of like, this is this is the story I'm trying to tell. This is what I want. She knows what I want. And I'm going to put her in front of the camera. And it's, you know, it's edgy. It's ballsy. It's different. And I do think that is a very crucial aspect of who De Palma is in his movie making style of like, it's very clear. He just kind of pushes the boundaries a little bit. Um, and you know, you can kind of see that, you know, Scarface getting X's and like sisters and all of these crazy movies. that at the time people were just like totally, um, writing off because they were a, a step too far. But I thought that in particular was interesting. Yeah. I thought that was very cool. And I think one of the fun facts about that movie too is, like you said, it still has the longest walking shot in it. It's like 16 yeah, or 17 cinema minutes history. long. Kind of crazy to still have that title at this point. You know, all That's these wild. Later. Good for him. Good yeah. for him. I mean, and you know, when um, we talk about Carlito's way, we'll talk about it here in a second, but I guess I'll bring it up now because I don't want to forget because I know I'm going to forget. He, he mentions in Carlito's way about kind of one of the final scenes, right? Where we go through Grand Central Station and we do a big walking shot with uh, Pacino. He mentioned something again that I think is just really stuck with me because of the modern day culture of movies and the Marvel machine and the studio machine and everything that we're working with. 
he says once you start cutting once you start cutting things up you lose the emotion of things and what made carlito's way so special in that moment specifically was that you get to watch pacino go through every emotion in real time and it happens as he experiences it and i guess like that is just so crucial to something that like I continually long for in movies and search for in movies of like, how long can we go without cutting the camera? Because cutting away is an emotional cheat code and you just sever everything we're building. And so I think his knowledge when it comes to that stuff is very impressive and and very, uh, you know, kind of genre important in what he did. He did do for movies and genres. Yeah. And he talked about that too with, uh, carry earlier on how he shot everything to be shown in a split screen like in yeah. the whole high school scene and but he was smart enough to realize like oh this doesn't work like you can't show okay. both sides like you've got to have action and reaction you can't do both at the same time because then you just lose the impact of it he's like there's still some of it there because i liked it you know and having seen it recently I'm like yeah it, like when it's there it's kind of cool had the whole scene been like that, it would have been way too much, you know, and it would, you would have been too distracted. Like, well, where am I looking at? What am I focusing on? And he does reiterate that a few times in this doc. It's like, you have to show people where to look like that's your job as to yep. what they need to look at. He talked about with body double. He talked about with all kinds of things. Just like you're in charge of like, sh- like giving them the thing they need to look at. And again, like I just think he's, it shows how smart he is to know when to do it and how to do it. And that's the Carlitos way comment is like just so on point. Yeah. Um, okay. Next one on the list. Casualties of war. I thought this was probably the most revealing of any movie that he yeah. did speak about, especially in terms of like behind the scenes or the difficulties of shooting. Uh, he mentioned the studio head at the time flew out to Vietnam and he says that she was there for like five hours and then yeah. flew back home. Cause it was so brutal in Vietnam. And he did give some interesting behind the scenes of Sean Penn and Michael J. Fox and how their dynamic off screen kind of worked on screen and made that made that better, which that is the kind of storytelling that I find super intriguing of like, what didn't we know? Like, what is something that literally De Palma is only going to know? Right. Um, And building an entire set, an entire jungle set, because you take, you know, you go two feet in the jungle in Vietnam and you're just directionless. You don't know where you're going. So they had to redo the whole set. For me, Casualties of War jumped really high up on my watch list. I'm, yeah. I'm exceptionally intrigued to watch the movie, learn more. He thinks it's one of the greatest war movies ever made. So I need to emotionally prepare myself for that, I guess. I don't really do war movies, but it looked really good and his stories were fascinating. I'm with you. Like I... I will reiterate that I think Scarface is the first thing you need to watch of his um, and probably Carlitos way next. Like both those movies, I, I feel like you could say they're masterpieces without, you know, Mm. exaggerating. Like they're both fantastic, but I'm with you. I haven't seen casualties of war that jumped up to my number one spot of things I want to see from De Palma that I haven't seen before, but in large part because of these stories. Um, And again, speaking of the transparency of him talking about like, yeah, people were kind of offended by it because, you know, all these soldiers were like, you know, raping the women. But 
that's what we were doing to their country. We were raping their countries. We just yeah. like went in there and did whatever we wanted. And that's what I was trying to tell people. They just were bothered by seeing it on screen. It's like, Oh fuck man, this guy's just like putting it out there. Like, like there's no subtlety to this metaphor. He's like, we're raping their country. So I'm going to show these guys raping the women of that, that country. So people understand it's like, Damn. that's intense. <laughs> but um, yeah, the stories between Sean Penn and Michael J. Fox, like, that thing got me the most like that. The ending scene when Sean Penn like says something to Michael J. Fox. And he's like, yeah, one of the takes he said TV or television actor that walked off. I was like, Oh fuck. Man. Stone cold <laughs> Sean Penn. Dude, that is hardcore, <laughs> man. Just like insult him like that. Like probably towards the end of filmmaking. Like it's just like, Oh, it's so crazy. Yeah. But, but yeah, that those stories, every movie that he talked about in here, this is the one that jumped up to the number one spot. Like I need to see casualties of war for sure. And that cast for Casualties of War is pretty unreal. Honestly, yeah. Michael J. Fox, Sean Penn, John C. Riley, John Leguizamo, um, and Ving Rams are the, are the big names here. And you got to remember, this movie was made in 1989. Um, yeah. So they're all very young, very early on in their careers, which would be so cool to see. Uh, I got three more here. Shooting Carlito's Way. The one story I wanted to write down here is the train situation. Um, basically De Palma had to be one train, Pacino had to be in another, and they had to work with what the trains were doing and try to get the shot. And basically one of Al Pacino's trains just like kept going and Pacino just like stayed on the train and De Palma had to go chase him down and like figure out like, where did you go? What is going on again? Like one of those really personal stories that I I just don't think you would know unless De Palma told you, um, that, you know, kind of emphasizes a little bit like, Oh wow. Okay. Now when I watch that movie, I know a little backstory to this scene in particular that I thought was cool. And I think this also speaks to why studios do previs now, because uh-huh. you know, he was even saying like, Oh yeah, we were there all night. It was like four in the morning when the train finally left. He's like, I was just trying to time it out, you know, so that when we're on one train passing another one and we're just trying to get the shot, it's like, yeah, as someone who's like done very minimal filmmaking, like, it can get fucking arduous just like doing the same thing over and over and over again. And you like, you, you lose the drive or motivation. And so I can only imagine like a paid talented actor, like Pacino, who's just like, you know what? Take me home. I'm going to the fuck out of here. I'm out like, of here. <laughs> we've done this so many times, you know, and it's like, this is partly why studios are like, no, we're previsiting it. Cause we can't, we can't rent out the station for eight hours at night for you to find out if you're going to get your shot or not. Like we just need to like get it done. And of course now everything, they would just like build this train station. Like they would, whatever they would do it so differently now, but that's also what makes those movies so special is that, you know, they did it in like, they actually did it there. Like, that's so cool. That's why, you know, he talks a little bit about like, I hate car chases. You know, but the best one, it is the French connection. It's a great idea. You have a train underneath train the subway. subway. You're never going to have a better idea than that. Don't do any more car chases. Yeah. Like that's the best <laughs> one. And like, I can't argue it. Like my favorite one is from bullet. Cause they go through this, the streets of San Francisco, but French connection is like notorious and a classic for a reason. And he just sums it up really easily. He's like, you're just never going to make a better one. So stop doing it. <laughs> You've capped okay, out. You're cool. done. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, that and that does make me sad too because like just the the state of movies you're just like why like god, I know it costs money but like can we just make real shit, you know? Like can we just yeah. make real movies please? Like that's so fun and and that's that's what makes those so special. That's what makes them age so well, I think. Mm-hmm. And um so yeah, makes me sad that that the state of cinema is where it is. 
Mission Impossible. This was him determined to make a big hit. Um, his really his first time working with major green screens. Uh, he had two different uh two different screenwriters in, uh, put up in two different hotels working yeah. on the script at the same exact time. A lot of studio oversight, big deal. Tom Cruise, obviously a kind of a, a executive producer on it, wanted things done his way, and you know, big box office celebration, kind of overshadowed by De Palma's uh personal life that he gets into briefly. Um, but I thought that was interesting that he still considers that obviously one of his more successful movies, uh, even if it is specifically in the commercial realm. Yeah. And one of the best, like, I mean, we talked about it in the Patreon episode, but just like movie from TV adaptations and they stay true to the TV show. And he talked about that, like wanting to honor it. Um, but knowing that they had to go to a different level. It's like when you have Tom Cruise, you put him in set pieces, you know, it's like, and then he talked about North by Northwest. It's like they were on like, they were on uh, Mount Rushmore and we knew where they were at. And it was like that. I wanted to kind of like do my version of that. So it's like, you know what I'm going to do? We're going to go into the Langley. We're going to go to CIA headquarters. That's what we're going to break into. And it's like, that's genius. Yeah. You have Tom Cruise, like make it happen. So um, just another great example of like him referencing, you know, Hitchcock and how he, inspired him and his filmmaking decisions. And I had never thought uh, uh, before about this kind of mission impossible nugget that he shared, maybe very obvious to some other people. It might, might be obvious to you, but like he, he just said, again, he says it so matter of factly, but he's like, when you make a mission impossible movie with Tom Cruise, it has to be about Tom Cruise it has to be his movie. Mm. So what do you do? You kill off the team because yeah. you have to make it about Tom Cruise. And I guess I had never just like clicked that over before where it's just like, Oh, everybody died. So this can be Tom Cruise's movie. Mm -hmm. Like I am just always so invested in that movie where it's just like, shit, his team died. Now he's all alone. What are we going to do? I've never thought about it from De Palma's perspective where it's just like, we have Tom Cruise. This has to be about Tom Cruise. Let's fucking kill off everybody else. Even though they give us some good banter and they're a great team. Fuck those guys. We got, we got to get Tom Cruise only, which I thought was so riveting. Yeah, I feel like it is a little bit of like column A, a little column B, where it is like, this is Tom Cruise movie, let's have it be that. But also, for those of us who are watching it for the first time, you realize within the first 15 minutes that nobody is off limits, like, except Tom Cruise. Like, you know he's going to make it, but everyone else you meet is fair game. You know, it's just like it throws you off in the first 15. And again, I think think this is the movie where we talked about Psycho. You know, it's just like, we're going to have our protagonist gone in the first 20 minutes yep. that's never happened in movies before psycho he's like so i want to do that because this is tom cruise's movie so let's do that like yeah it worked perfectly it was genius tom cruise shouting the disc is in the open is still one of my greatest line readings of, <laughs> of cinematic history honestly they're <laughs> um, all dead they're all they're dead, dead Claire. <laughs> the disc is in the open <laughs> last one i want to put on here we briefly touched on it leaving america after he makes snake eyes which I'm really interested to watch. I cannot. Dude, I cannot wait. I had <laughs> literally. I had never heard of Snake Eyes, and then he's just like, "Yeah, we never show the fight. We show it from all these different perspectives." And I'm just like, "Fuck, that sounds so good. Like yeah. that sounds really good." So I'm excited to watch Snake Eyes. But he dipped after this, and then we kind of wrap up the documentary with him literally saying, "Movies are my wife, not you." And mm-hmm. and it's just like a mic drop from De Palma. <laughs> yeah. It's like, "Shit, okay, see you later." Yeah, I got like a little distracted at. Like I, I, while I was watching this and all of a sudden it's just like a montage and the credits rolling. I'm like, wait, he ended it. Like he was just yeah. talking about something else. And I like went back two minutes like, Oh no, he just like ended. <laughs> like he said, it was like kind of a mic drop. Like 
yep, I'm out of here. See you. Like, oh, I'm done talking cool. about my movies. Gotcha. That's it. We're <laughs> done. So yeah, kind of cool. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, do you have a true cinema moment that you're gonna pick? I mean, I do. I kind of mentioned it already, but I just thought it was so so interesting to me that he and George Lucas were doing a cattle call for yeah. Star Wars and Carrie at the same time. And that like there was the crossover there of like the, one of the girls who ends up being one of the main girls and Carrie got really far into the princess Leia like auditions and then vice versa, like Carrie Fisher reading for Carrie, you know, for that movie and almost getting cast in there. It's like, it is crazy to think about that. Like those are two yeah. of like the most important movies in American cinema and they were both just like casting at the same time for like this high school horror movie. And then this like galactic space opera. And it's just like, I can't imagine Wild. being an actor and having to read for both of those at the same time. But I thought that was such a cool, such a cool fact. I thought that was awesome. It shows like two seconds of Kurt Russell reading for star Wars. And I was yeah. like, dang, that's cool. That's so really cool. rad. Yeah. yeah. Super sick. The true cinema moment I'm going with is not on the list, Ben. Um, very brief, very brief thing in the beginning, um, moment in the beginning where he's kind of talking about all these guys that he grows up with and getting close to all these directors. And, you know, they were, they were the guys, they ran Hollywood and they were the storytellers. Um, and you know, he does have an interesting story about taxi driver and Scorsese and kind of passing the script onto him and being like, yeah, it seemed more like what he would be into. That's crazy that he knows them on that level to be like, yeah, that's more of your mm -hmm. vibe. Um, but we get a little home video footage from Spielberg in his car in 1976, calling yeah. De Palma from a car phone saying like, Hey, happy Thanksgiving. Sorry. You can't be in town to celebrate with us, but we just wanted to say, hi, I'm recording this on eight millimeter color uh, film. And, yeah. uh, this is so cool and blah, blah, blah. And De Palma was like, yeah, Spielberg was the only guy I knew back then with a car phone. Pretty cool. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that scene, just like his his story with that and then seeing that is just like, God, like, fuck, these guys that are so legendary now, they were just dudes just making movies, just trying to tell stories and figure it out as they went along. And like, I thought that was so cool. And that's like the one time we ever see you know, behind the scenes footage or like personal story footage or whatever it was. I loved it. Yeah. Just, just guys being dudes, you know, it was, it was pretty cool. <laughs> guys being dudes. Okay. A one acts. We've got obviously Brian De Palma. Let's go through his filmography real quick. He went through all of it on in the, uh, in the movie and, um, but we're going to go through all of it and talk about it briefly. Hi mom, sisters, phantom of the paradise, obsession, Carrie, the fury, home movies, dressed to kill blowout which speaking of blowout that was really interesting that he he was like once john travolta got attached to blowout our budget went from five million to 20 million mm -hmm. i was like damn john travolta in the 80s it's dude the was heavenly it's yeah. unreal uh scarface body double wise guys comedy with danny devito incredible um the untouchables casualties of war the bonfire of the vanities raising Kane, carlito's way mission impossible snake eyes Mission to Mars, Femme Fatale, The Black Dahlia, Redacted, Passion, and Domino was the last movie he made in 2021, I believe. What are you going to go with, Ben? I mean... It's Scarf Scarface, isn't it? It's, it's the best thing <laughs> on here, but I am going to go with Blowout because I think it's one of the most interesting yeah. movies I've watched by him. Um, he talks about it a little bit, but it's about a sound guy who basically overhears an assassination and then tries to like piece it together. Travolta is 
fucking phenomenal. Like he's so good. Um, and it's just, it's a wonderful movie and it's young Travolta. Like, I don't know what else to say about it, but obviously like see Scarface, anyone who hasn't seen it, watch it. Like there's a Scarface from 1932, which is actually a really, really good movie considering the time. Um, but this Scarface is again, like I said earlier, it's a masterpiece. Like it's, it's so, so good. I've been trying to watch it forever. It's just hard for me to watch long movies because I have to put my kids down to bed yeah, yeah. and I don't get done putting them to bed until like seven 30 or seven 45. And so then at that point I'm like, do I really fire up a two and a half hour movie and I'm out here till 11 o'clock? I don't, I don't know. It's, it's really difficult. So my family Can I ask you is a question. Can I see something? Oh God. I don't know. Can you, <laughs> how many times have you seen Babylon? Oh God! Damn it. Like, this like, is why I. This is why how, I didn't want to let you ask a question. How long is Babylon? Irrelevant. Totally Irrelevant. different movie. Irrelevant question. <laughs> Plead the fifth. Okay. Cool. Got it. Got it. Objection. Objection. <laughs> <laughs> My family is going away next weekend. Uh, to out of town. They're out of town for like three days. So if I don't watch Scarface in that time, I'm probably never going to watch it. So you, you and the listeners, you got to hold me accountable. You we'll got to hold it. me to it. Well, let's I'm gonna live do it. tweet it together. Let's do it. Oh, fuck yeah. Let's do that. Uh, okay. You know what? Crazy thing here. I'm also going to go with Blowout. I've never seen Blowout, but this is why I'm going with it is because I almost watched it a few weeks ago. I like hit play and then I was like, no, I care about it too much and I'm not in the right headspace to like gotcha. get involved in a movie that I actually want to watch. Does that, that make sense? Yeah, so like totally. I needed something a little, a little bit lighter. So I'm that close. It's really high on my list. Young Travolta. And seeing what I saw in this documentary, I literally, I literally, when he was talking about the final scene where Travolta says, like, that's a good scream, I literally said out loud to myself, fuck, I'm going to love that movie. And I'm yeah. just, I'm very excited. So I'm going with Blowout. First time I'm going with something I've never seen, I think, I which like is it. crazy. Yeah. It only took 95 or 96 episodes. Okay, <laughs> <Yeah>, <laughs> um, next one, director documentaries. Obviously, De Palma is, a, is about Brian De Palma. I wanted to put mm. this on the list. I think mostly to shed some light on what other documentaries are out there about directors. This was pretty much all news to me. Added a lot of these to my watch list on Letterboxd. We've got Richard Linklater, Dream is Destiny. Um, Hal, which is about Hal Ashby. The Kingdom of Dreams and Madness, which highlights Studio Ghibli and Hayao Miyazaki. Um, Camera Person, which is about uh, Kirsten Johnson. Well, I got Corman's World, uh, Exploits of a Hollywood Rebel about Roger Corman in the 1960s and 70s, Hitchcock Truffaut, A Personal Journey with Martin Scorsese through American Movies. Those are the big ones that I found to put on this list. <laughs> I have not seen any of those movies, but I did put a few on, most notably Richard Linklater. I love Richard Linklater. I'm very excited to watch this documentary. Um, okay, cool. Well, then I'm going to cheat and I'm going to name two. Yes. Um, so the first one isn't necessarily about a director, but it's about a movie itself and has a large thing to do with the director. It's called Hearts of Darkness, and it's about the making of Apocalypse Now with Francis Ford okay. Coppola, who I'm realizing is the fifth one that I can't keep forgetting. Like, yes, is. that um, is who it is. So it's amazing that movie ended up taking like 18 months to make, which is just like an insane amount yeah. of time. Um, and the documentary is fascinating because it's like, it's shot by Coppola's wife um, while they're like in the midst of like doing all the production and all the delays and stuff like that. 
obviously in De Palma, he talks about working with Orson Welles and there's like a similar situation here with apocalypse now, um, you know, having to read the lines and things like that. Um, but obviously with, uh, um, what the fuck can I think of his name, but the Godfather, uh, so yeah, I'm going to mention Don Corleone, of Darkness. dude. Duh. Yeah, yeah. Marlon, Marlon Brando. Marlon Brando, there it is. <laughs> um so yeah, Hearts of Darkness I'm going to mention, but I'm also going to pick um Hitchcock Truffaut because that one is so I mean, I I read that book in film school, just like the whole transcript of their interviews, and it really was like, you know, it's Truffaut who's just like a, an amazing director in his own right with the French New Wave and all the stuff that he made. Um, but it's him getting the opportunity to just like sit down with Alfred Hitchcock and ask him all the questions that he's wanted to ask him. And it's wow. like, if you can think of something that you like to do, and then you got to sit down with like your hero who also does that and just ask them everything. That's what this is. And it's damn fucking amazing. You know, and like we covered Hitchcock on my other podcast and I watched, you know, this documentary as part of it. And it's just I hadn't seen it before. I'd only read like the book. So it was really cool to watch it, to have some of the supplemental footage with it and the other interviews. So I I would highly recommend it because it's like, it's really two geniuses, two filmmaking geniuses, just like interviewing each other. And it's so well done. It's so cool. That's so crazy that you mentioned that because that's the only documentary on this list that was already on my watch list. So I know it's important. I totally understand that. And I really, really, really want to see it. Um, you might have just bumped it up significantly. Whoa, yeah, physical copy. Physical. Look at this guy do it. Look wow. It. Nice. Love to see that. Uh, okay. Hitchcock Truffaut. Sounds good. I got to watch that one. Okay. A24 ranking for De Palma. A through F. Do whatever you want to do. Do you want to go? Do you want to go first or are you still thinking about it? I'll go first. I was just thinking this went up as we were talking about it, I came in here Excellent. ready to give it a C, but I mm-hmm. think I'll give it like a, a B minus because as much as like, I didn't love the format necessarily, the stuff I took away from it will stick with me. Like it was very interesting. Um, so yeah, I wish it had more, like I want to hear fucking Pacino side of the story of him being yeah. like, yeah, man, it was four in the morning. I'm like, fucking take me home. You know, like I'm yeah. sure his version of that story is just as interesting. And I think that's the kind of stuff that I wanted. I want, I wanted like the other accounts of this kind of stuff. Um, but hearing it all from De Palma was obviously really cool. Very interesting. So I'm, I'll give it a, a B minus 24. You make a really good point. And I think as I try to come up with my score, I'm just thinking in terms of A24, if they were to take other directors and someone, um, like De Palma or or not, honestly, like whoever, like if we were to get this about Bombac and like, hey, it's no Bombac sitting in front of a camera for two hours telling stories about movies he's made. I'm uh, every single one. I'm pretty much sold. There's there's like just no question about it that I would watch it. Uh, so I think you're on the right track. I like I like the B minus twenty four. Uh, I think I'm actually gonna go. I, I'm gonna go with a, a B minus twenty four as well. I was I was thinking about a C plus, but I did like it. Um, so I guess, you know, I feel like I liked it more than you a little bit and that would be wrong to then grade it lower than you. I feel like that wouldn't be very fair. Yeah. So yeah, I had a good time. I thought it was really interesting. A lot of interesting uh, kind of fascinating nuggets about De Palma's career. And the, the takeaway that I had was like, I don't know if De Palma is a good director or makes good movies, but he is, really smart and he does what he wants and he's confident and like 
that is enough. That was literally enough to build an entire career off of. And he figured out who he was. And I added 14 of his movies to my watch list on Letterboxd. Literally 14 of these. Damn. And so I'm very excited to go through the De Palma filmography. And I, I view that as a big win for this movie. Like, it made me more excited about De Palma. It made me more interested in 70s and 80s thrillers and neo-noirs and things that De Palma had his hands all over. And I just love that. I, I, I think that is, you know, the mission statement of the movie is like, can we just get you more interested in De Palma stuff? And it, and yeah. it totally did. Um, next week on the pod, question mark, past lives, fingers crossed. Fingers Who knows? Crossed, please, A24. <laughs> Hopefully also, if you want to send us that. some screeners, since like we only talk about your movies. That'd be sick. <laughs> you know, slide into the DMs, man. They're open. Wide open on all platforms. You yeah. can you, you do whatever. Just comment on the YouTube video. Be like, screeners coming your way. <laughs> Let us know. Um, totally. Yeah, absolutely. 824, if anybody's listening, send us stuff. Um, hopefully, fingers crossed, we can watch, we can talk about past lives. If it's not next week, it's going to be the week after. Uh, if you have any specific movies that you'd be interested in us talking about or covering, we obviously have some of our own picks and some things kind of um, locked and loaded and, and ready to talk about, but we're always taking suggestions. So if yeah. someone wants something specifically, please get at us on Twitter or socials and let us know. And hopefully we'll have a very special guest on to talk about past lives as well. It'd be a returning guest, but definitely one of our favorites. Yeah. Without we'll a see. doubt. It'd be awesome. I hope they can come on and join us. Um, they were fantastic before. Yeah. And I'm sure they'd be fantastic again. So, and maybe they can help us out with our A24 connection. We'll <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's um, our bridge. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, let us know what you guys thought about De Palma. If you watched it, I mean, I think overall it's a, it's a recommend, but yeah. even if you're not going to watch this specific thing, we'd love to hear about like what your favorite De Palma movie is. He does have so many to choose from um, some, you know, that are just like absolute classics and will go down in history as some of the best American cinema ever made. So let us know what movies of his that you love or what you thought about this documentary. Um, you can, you know, hit us up. We're on Twitter and Instagram at 24 minutes of a 24. We've been sharing tonight. I think we both shared our top 16 letter or top 16 movies of all time on letterbox. So yeah, we did. You know, let us know if any of the 14 that Ethan picked made it onto your letterbox watch list. I mean, <laughs> that mine's just expanding casualties of wars has definitely made it on there. So yeah, let us know. Um, also, we're on YouTube where you could be watching us right now. Possibly hit subscribe. I think there's a bell that you could hit that'll notify you. There's just like so much stuff you could do. You know what else you could do? You tell your friends and family about us. Let them know. Spread the Love word. Yeah. Like let them know about us. Um, we would really, really appreciate that. But we appreciate all of you listening and being here with us. Um, yeah. Thanks so much, you guys. I'm Ben Lawhorn. And I'm Ethan Simi. Spring break forever, bitches. 